Welcome to the Draft Nut Podcast. It's Jared Feinberg and Devin Jackson, and we are your hosts for today's episode. Folks, we're back. We took a break last week because of the election, distress, and Devin had to cover the election a little bit. But we're back together finally for the first time in about two or three weeks. So it's good to be back together. Full crews here. Ready to go. Ready to talk some football. Devin, have you have you been, bro? Uh, I've been good, man. Like you said, just been busy. Had a bunch of election coverage last week. Uh, so that's the reason we didn't record last week. Um, and then just... And things just kept happening every time we were getting ready to record the last couple of weeks. Uh, but finally back together, like you said, and uh, ready to talk about full slate of football, man. Uh, had Both our teams had interesting games this weekend, uh, games you probably didn't expect the way it went. Um, and that's uh, just football. <laughs> you know, stuff happens. So definitely don't talk about that. You know, college football is heating up especially the quarterback discussion, so we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But, yeah, man, like I said, I'm excited to be back. Yeah, man, it, I mean, it didn't feel right without you on the last two episodes we had. Of course, um, the last two solo episodes we did or that I did, it felt, kind of felt weird. Like, I, I was just kind of rambling off pop football, you know, and I wasn't like talking to anyone about it. It just felt weird. And now you're here. I can talk to you about football. You get to talk to me about football. That's all I care about, my bro. That's all I care about. And I'm excited to talk about Panthers Chiefs. Let's get started with that game. Holy cow, dude. That was a fun game. That was, and like you said, it wasn't anything like I expected, you know, it it truly blew me away of how well Carolina played throughout that game. I mean, they were in it all the way to like the last few seconds. Like it it was that good. Very impressed with how the offense executed. Joe Brady called a great game. Teddy Bridgewater had a really nice game. Curtis Samuel had his big day, nine catches, nine on nine targets, 105 yards and a touchdown. Christian McCaffrey returned. He had over 150 yards in total offense or total yards from the line of scrimmage. Two touchdowns. No, two, three. Not sure. I have to look it up. But Christian McCaffrey back. That red zone offense for Carolina, it looked a lot better with McCaffrey back because McCaffrey adds that element where they were miss what they were missing for the last few weeks with him out. With McCaffrey back, now you have that extra element where you can if you're doing play action from the one or whatnot, I mean you can slip McCaffrey out from the backfield on the flat or you can run Texas with McCaffrey angle routes, you know? I mean, it's that simple. And you get production in the red zone, and your team starts to really start, really starts to score points. What really was the downfall for Carolina in this game was third down defense or just their defense overall. They couldn't, I mean, of course, you're facing the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, one of the one of the front runners for league MVP. It it would the task was very very tough from the get go. It was going to be even before this game, and the fact that Patrick Mahomes had a big game against Carolina's defense is no surprise. But they Carolina's defense made enough plays defensively to keep Carolina in the game. They held Kansas City to field goals. Carolina, had, I think, took over time possession for the entire game, if I remember correctly. First two drives were at least eight minutes. Like the first drive, it lasted from start of the first quarter all the way to like 
six minutes left in the first. Like it was, these drives were long, methodical, but efficient and consistent. And that's what really impressed me the most. Joe Brady wasn't in the booth calling the plays from up there. He was on the sideline because Kansas City is a hostile environment. Even though it's a limited capacity, it's still pretty damn loud. So that communication between Brady and Bridgewater, I think they needed to be more closer to each other than Brady being all the way up in the booth. But I, I was really impressed with Carolina overall. This is a very tough football team, and we've known this for the entire season. They play tough. They play resilient. They play they're a very competitive football team. They just need to start closing out games. They need to start winning games. And I don't think that team is there yet. But what I saw when you're going, when you went toe to toe with arguably one of the best teams in football, that tells me you can go toe to toe with anybody. They could go to, they can go toe to toe with Pittsburgh, who's eight and zero. Almost lost to Dallas. So that goes to show me, hey, no matter what deficiencies that Carolina has, no matter how many holes they have on both sides of the ball, they fight and they want to win. And I got to give Carolina credit. I got to give Matt Rule credit for making this team a very competitive football team. And, you know, I'm really excited for the future of this team. If Carolina, I don't have a problem with Carolina losing every game from here on out, and, but they lose every single one of those games by seven or less points. You know, like as a Panthers fan, like a very, very loyal Panthers fan, like you're into it, like it would just drive you nuts. Like a fan that wants to win every game, no matter how bad the team is. Like it would be agonizing, but you know, it, if that happens, it goes to show, like, hey, this is going to be a good football team a lot sooner than we think. If Carolina loses out, they're going to finish 3-13, probably a top-five pick, and they got a shot at one of the top quarterbacks. That's huge. They also got a shot at one of the top um, non-QBs, which is also huge. So you got plenty of options on the table. Carolina finishes with a 4-12, 5-11 record. You're still in the top 10. You still got a shot at one of the top quarterbacks because now that group has kind of expanded a lot more. It wasn't just three guys. It's now Zach Wilson and potentially, potentially Mac Jones. Who knows? Mac Jones has been playing well. We'll have to wait and see what we'll talk about QB class, the QB class here later. But, again, I was really impressed with Carolina. Brian Burns had a great game. Um, I thought he had a sack, but I went and looked at the box score real quick just to see if the sack was actually counted, and I don't think it was. So he's still at three sacks on the year. But he had a great game uh, Sunday. Derek Brown showed some flashes. Sam Franklin, undrafted rookie, had a great game. And that just goes to show, despite how young that team is defensively, like, they got a lot of talent in terms of, like, ceiling and future outlook. So, and Justin Burris, who's arguably been the top DB on the roster um, all season long, he's been hurt, and we don't know when he's coming back. So, Franklin stepping up um, – against Kansas City in a game they needed people to step up that was very, very needed. Um, so, you know, it was great to see Carolina fight to the end against the Kansas City Chiefs, who could end up being back at the Super Bowl this year. So that was what made me happy. You know, I don't care if they lose, win or lose. You know, I'm not – I don't have any hard feelings about it either way. But, you know, there are just some little things that kind of, like, irked me a little bit. Like, interior offensive line didn't give Bridgewater a lot of time. So that kind of aggravated me. Defense still sucks in the secondary. Dante Jackson is not it. 
he's not. I mean, yeah, he has like he'll have a couple of interceptions here and there, but he hasn't had any really good plays. Like he, he, he's just so small, so like scrawny, and like he talks big, but he plays little. You know, it, it's I, I'm kind of getting done with him. He had a nice, promising rookie year, but you know, I'm over it. So cornerbacks will be a big need. Hopefully they have enough cap space um, this offseason. They'll probably end up cutting KK short, and that'll free up a bunch of cap space. So then the interior of the off of the defensive line will need um, improvement. So, you know, Carolina, tough team, but you know, still a lot of holes, still a young team, still a young coaching, still a new coaching staff. So again, impressed with Carolina. They went to the wire with Kansas City. I want your thoughts on that game. Yeah, I mean, from from the get go, I know the Panthers are going to be a competitive team. Uh, I could tell just based on the personnel they acquired and having Teddy Bridgewater at the helm, he, he's always going to make sure that you're in the game. Uh, he'll never play you out of a game. <clears throat> it just came down to making a few more plays, and the Panthers weren't able to do it. But they're right there, neck and neck with the Chiefs. Um, I think that goes to show you that. You know, the Panthers offenses, they, they have something brewing there. You know, whether or not they think, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is the future or whatever, obviously that still needs to be decided. But they got pieces. Uh, Curtis Samuel had a big day. Um, Robbie Anderson is con- continues to impress. Christian McCaffrey looked very, very good for someone who hadn't played in like six weeks or so. Uh, so I was impressed by how well he meshed right back into the offense. Uh, unfortunately, he uh, is day to day now with a shoulder injury, so hopefully he'll uh, be able to play. But if not, I mean, you, you might as well just hold him out the rest of the season to just allow him to get healthy and, and gear up for next year. Um, that was another thing I wanted to bring up, and I meant to bring up, is that I saw some Panther fans like tweeting out on my timeline, on my Twitter timeline, saying, Panthers are winless with Christian McCaffrey starting this year, but they're three and six with they're not three and six. Well, no, they're three and five. Three and six. I don't know. I'm losing track. Panthers. It, it, it has no correlation. There's no. It doesn't really make a difference whether or not Christian McCaffrey is in the backfield or Mike Davis is in the backfield. It just so happens they end up losing games with Christian McCaffrey as a starter this year after getting a big contract in the offseason. So is this saying Christian McCaffrey is now injury prone and now we may need a much better complimentary back instead of Mike Davis, who's been great? No, I'm not saying that. He's not injury prone. It just happens that this year he's getting banged up. And that's kind of been the aggravating thing is that people are trying to bring McCaffrey down because he's a running back and he got a big contract in the offseason. And now he's getting hurt and people are saying it was a waste of a contract. You know, in some ways, yes, some of that money could have been spread out to other players that we could have signed in the offseason. But Christian McCaffrey is the leader of this team. He is important to this team. If if you agree with that or not, he's the heart and soul of this football team. Losing him sucks. And they need him on the field. And he adds a better, he adds a big element in the red zone for Carolina because they have struggled in the red zone all season, except when McCaffrey has been healthy. They just can't close out games. That's been the problem. So, you know, I really, I really hope he can stay healthy and I really hope he can play some this upcoming weekend against Tampa Bay. And that could be a big game in terms of for both teams. Like both teams need a big win because if Carolina wants to at least say, Hey, we're still, we could still be in this race. Because we all know what's going to happen with the playoffs. There's rumors that they could expand the playoff field to six to even more teams. 
you know, because of COVID and t- of games could be canceled later on the season because of the surge in cases, but we just don't know. So hopefully McCaffrey can be healthy and hopefully he can be the future on this. He can be the future for this Panther football team. He should be the guy, the leader for years to come in Carolina, no matter what. So I just had to get that out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, getting back to the game, like I said, they, they play neck and neck with them. Uh, and honestly, McCaffrey and Kamara, I think, are in a different level in terms of, you know, running back contracts. But again, we can discuss that at a later time. But I think they're they're not your traditional running back that you overpay. It's not like a Ezekiel Elliott situation where he is seriously declining. Uh, both Kamara and McCaffrey bring so many things to the table in terms of running the running and passing game. So I think that's why their contracts are warranted. Uh, but getting back to the game, uh, like I said, uh, it just came down to, like you said, closing out games. It's a sign of a young team uh, when they can't close out games. I think that the Panthers and really the Chargers are in similar situations. Um, they have a young core, and they just haven't learned how to finish out games. And obviously it's going to come with experience because easily they could be 6-3. and three. You know, they could be right at the top of the division. Um, that separates a, a lot of teams, really, uh, when it comes down to it. You could say the same thing about the Patriots as well, uh, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later on. Uh, they could easily have a winning record, too, uh, but they're just not able to close out games. So um, that's what it really came down to. But, man, the Panthers, like I said, are a fun team. Um and I knew that they were going to win more than probably four games. Uh, I still stand by that. When I, when I was looking at Carolina's schedule after the Kansas City game, you know, they, they still got to play Tampa Bay. They still got to play New Orleans. They still got to play Green Bay. Minnesota's starting to play well. Dalvin Cook's balling out. That could be a problem. We don't know what the hell's going on with Detroit. I don't know how the Washington game could go. Like, there's so much unknown there. Um, but just look at – and they got to play Denver too. So, can Carolina win five or six games? It's possible. But I think there's their floor is 3-13. and 13. Like, I could definitely see them losing out. And but like all their lot like and like I said, all their losses could be in close games. Like at some point in those games. Like so like you said, it's a young team. Um and probably when they get better talent this offseason, when they add to the roster via the draft, via free agency, maybe via the trade market, who knows? We could see this team really start winning games, closing out games, because, like you said, like Carolina had is like a few plays away, few inches away from being from having a winning record. Like they've been that competitive and that good, but they just haven't closed out games. I I wanted to tweet this out, but I wasn't sure if I should. I think Carolina might be the best worst team in the NFL. Because, like, they're playing well, but they're still losing games. And you could say the same thing for Atlanta and maybe even New England. Well, I don't know about New England. They've really been bad at for stretches. But, you know, it's been impressive to see how well Carolina's played. They've exceeded my expectations this season, and I expect them to continue to do so throughout the year. So, Again, I'm really excited for Carolina's outlook in terms of their future a couple years down the road. This could be – I'm willing to say this could be a playoff team next year with how well they how, how well they played. They just need to have the right personnel defensively. I think that's been a problem, the right talent as well. They need to really patch up that interior offensive line, including at left tackle. There's so much unknown at left tackle now. Also, Kuhn, Dennis Daly, Greg Little, Trent Scott. Like, it's been a rotation of those guys. And it's like, when will there be 
stability at that area. So, you know, it's really it's going to be a crucial offseason for Carolina, but I think there will be a lot of good that will come out of it. And, you know, as someone who doesn't like Marty Herney, hope he's gone. Maybe they make Luke Keekley the general manager. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. But, you know, who knows? So I like Carolina's outlook and hope and we should get to prop. We should definitely get to Saints Bucks because I know that's a game you want to talk about a lot. So I watched most of that game and that was one of the more embarrassing performances I've ever seen for a home team with a winning record on primetime TV in front of a national audience with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, with a talented roster, with a stacked team, they just, they shit the pants, man. They shit their pants on national TV. It was bad. Shout out to the Saints, though. The Saints balled out. They had Michael Thomas back. They had Emmanuel Sanders. They basically had everyone back. Everyone's everyone's healthy. Everyone Everyone was playing well. Breeze had a good game. I mean, he he still wasn't throwing like 20 yards downfield or anything like that, but he was efficient, and that's kind of what matters. And also, we got to see Jameis Winston, but he didn't get – did he throw the ball at all, or did he just hand it off? Threw the ball once. Yeah, he threw a little play-action pass, though, just a little dump off. Everyone wanted him to, to throw it deep, and I, I would have loved to see it because that would have been – uh, yes. A nice deep ball that I haven't seen in probably like 10 years. But anyway, um, <laughs> the game to me, it was shocking because I, I knew everyone was going to pick the Bucks coming into the game to win the game. Um, and the Saints just play better when they're the underdogs. But at the same time, I didn't expect them to win 38 to three. I really didn't expect that at all. You know, once they went up 14 zero, I was like, OK, you know, Tampa Bay is going to respond here and score a touchdown or move the ball down the field, but they just have four straight three and outs, and then they couldn't even really move the ball the re- remainder of the first half or the game. So I I just didn't understand what the game plan was for the Buccaneers. Um, I mean, there were opportunities for them to make plays, but that offensive line is just not great. Um, I think a lot of people overlook their deficiencies, especially at left tackle with Donovan Smith. They thought that they could work with him and be able to hide his deficiencies, but it was on full display on uh, Sunday Night Football. You know, he gave up multiple sacks. Uh, he was getting beat by uh, Trey Hendrickson, who I love him as a player, but he is not, you know, at the level like Cam Jordan or Marcus Davenport in terms of speed off the line, but he, he played it out of his mind. I saw Trey hit. I was looking at some of the stat leaders, like usually like every Tuesday, I'd look at, I'd just look over, see who's leading the league and what, blah, 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 the league leaders. Trey Hendricks is in the top five now in sacks. I'm like, what in the world? What yeah. is this? You expect Cameron Jordan to be there, not Trey Hendricks. Like, jeez. Just because it just goes to show how embarrassing that loss was for Tampa Bay. And it was, oddly enough, Antonio Brown's first game back in the NFL. Coincidence? I don't know. We don't know. Is he a locker room concern? I haven't heard anything about that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to speculate. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I tweeted out as well. They got all these players for the Bucks, and they still can't beat the Saints. I mean, I just don't understand what they were thinking in terms of game plan because they just let Drew Brees pick them apart. You got to blitz him. You got to bring interior pressure. You got to do something. They just sat yeah. back and, and played zone the entire game. Wasn't Tampa Bay arguably the best defense in football before this yeah, game? They were a second-rated uh, defense according to PFF. I'm like, what the hell, man? Like, you would expect better on both sides, the entire team. It, it just blows my mind 
how bad Tampa Bay was. Just blows my mind. They ran the ball how many times? Nine times? Five times. They ran the ball five times in that game. That's it. Ronald Jones had nine yards on the game. Four carries, nine yards. If I if I'm remembering that correctly. That's that's just pitiful. And it goes to show, like Tampa Bay, they they have their holes. And they miss Vita Vea. Like they they don't have that dominating interior defensive lineman that will just terrorize offensive line one on one. Like they don't have that for the rest of the year. Could they still could Tampa Bay still win the NFC South? Yes. Is the path much harder now? Yes. They got swept by New Orleans. That's going to be the tiebreaker. It if the Saints and the Bucks have finished with the same record at the end of the year, the Saints are going to be division winners because of course they have the tiebreaker tiebreaker over Tampa Bay. They swept them. So yeah, you would think. Yeah, you would think they have more urgency too. I mean, because it's it's not like it was like the first matchup between the two teams. I mean, they got embarrassed the first week too. So you would have thought they would come out with like more fire, you know, just more chippy or something. Man, they they just came out there and and it was just over by halftime, and it it just didn't make sense. And then Arians just left Brady in in the fourth quarter, and he was getting banged around. And they just kicked the field goal. It's like you down thirty eight nothing, but you're gonna kick a field goal to make make sure you don't get you know have a scoreless game. It it just didn't right. make sense. To me. I I would have thought they they put in maybe throw in Josh Rosen or something, man. How Back. weird is it? Tampa Bay week one they get embarrassed. Week two they play Carolina. They have somewhat ugly game, but they end up getting better. As the game went along, and Carolina kind of kept it close. Now, week eight, they get embarrassed on in front of national television, and then they have to play Carolina next week. <laughs> I just find that weird. I'm like, it, it's just so odd that Tampa Bay loses these embarrassing games, and then they got to play Carolina the next week and be like. Okay, we can definitely blow this team out, but at the same time, we probably won't blow this team out. We're going to keep it close with them and then pull away late in the fourth quarter. It's like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And and Tampa Bay's traveling to Carolina. I'm like, bro. It's like, and I'm going to say it again. And I said this back in before week two. I said Tom Brady's going to be pissed off, and he's just going to go crazy. He didn't go crazy against Carolina when they played him back in week two. It's probably going to happen again, but I'm going to say it again. Tom Brady's going to be pissed off, and he's going to go off against Carolina, and I'm going to stick with it. I don't care. I don't care. I'm just – I don't know, man. He's not playing the Jets. He's not playing the Jets and Bills and Dolphins no more. He's playing in the World Division. Speaking of the Jets, oh my god, you have a chance to win that game. You're up ten, okay? You're up ten. You allow New England, you you force New England to a field goal. I think it was like the third or second drive of the game. I think it was the second, the second, the next to last drive of the game, if I remember correctly, from last night on, on Monday night. They hold them to a field goal. Initially, flag comes out. 12 men on the field for the Jets. I'm like, dude, you have the chance. You hold them to a field goal. You had a chance there. And you still let them score. Instead of holding them to a field goal and having a chance to take the ball away from Cam Newton and drive downfield to try to win the game, being dumbasses, they allow they get twelve men on the field. I'm like, how stupid do you have to be? 
Like, oh my god. And then Flacco throws that interception. I think like the drive before that, and I was like, holy cow. Like, they just told him, hey, Joe. He's like, yeah, I need you to do something for me, all right? I need you to just chuck it up there. Just chuck it up. See what, See if anyone can come down with it. Next play, do it. I don't care. Just do it. And it's probably Adam Gase telling him this, and he's like, all right. Flacco throws it. J.C. Jackson gets his fifth interception of the year. He's balling out. And people are like, Jesus Christ, this is insane. This is insane. I mean, the Jets are an embarrassment. They had a chance to win the game. They had a chance to win their first game. And yeah, and now they're still on the Trevor Lawrence bandwagon. You were up 10 points the thing against is the like, New England Patriots and Bill Belichick. You had a chance, and you blew it. But shout out Cam Newton. The dude balled out. I mean, he didn't throw any touchdown passes, of course, but he's he balled out last night. Jacoby Myers, beast of a game. Had a great game. He's probably their top receiver now from here on out. Newton looked really good throughout the game. He was accurate all night long. And some I think it was in our Blue Chips County group chat. It was in one of the group chats. Zach Dietz, one of our writers, he said, Cam Newton wasn't very accurate all game long. I'm like, well, you must have seen different games because I saw Cam Newton hitting, du- hitting dudes in stride. I mean, yes, he had a couple moments where he overthrew a dude, kind of missed the throw there. But overall, I thought he looked really good passing the football. He was accurate all night long for the most part. And he made he on that final drive, he threw a rope to Myers to get New England in field goal range to let Nick Folk kick the game winning field goal. So I was happy for New England for New England to get that win. They needed that win. Happy for Cam Newton. He needed that game. And afterwards I listened to the post game interview with him and Lisa Salters. He had the biggest smile on his face I haven't seen in quite some time. I'm like, this suit's happy again. And if he's happy playing ball again, like, things are about to get fun in New England. But I looked at who they're playing next. The Patriots are, I think they're traveling to Baltimore. Sunday night football. I'm like, ah, great. Now can in... He's probably going to have a bad game, get embarrassed on national TV, and people will be calling for his head again. Um, it, it's been a rough year as a Cam Newton fan, as a Cam Newton supporter, as a Cam Newton stand. You know, it's tough. But, hey, you know, New England, they've been put in a bad spot this year because of COVID opt-outs, and they've been dealing with injuries all year. So, and also they've had – COVID-19 positives to both Newton and Gilmore. And Gilmore's, Gilmore's still out. So, you know, it, it, I think once they get, they get healthy, they get all the players they need back and healthy, they think, I think they could try and make a run for that seventh seed. Maybe. Uh, it's going to be tough because you still got to play Baltimore. Uh, you got to I think they still got to play Miami. Still got to play Buffalo. I mean, you you still got to play some tough teams ahead. So it's going to be tough for New England. It's going to be tough for Cam. But, you know, we're going to have to see how that goes. So did you did you watch the game last night? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was just disappointed with the Jets because, like, you can see that they can play. You know what I'm saying? They can be a competitive football team and they can win football games. Uh, they have the requisite. I mean, hell, if Cam Newton had the weapons uh, Joe Flacco had, I mean, damn, I w- I'd be winning, too. You know, Denzel Mims showed up and had a big game. 
uh, Bashad Perryman. Uh, he was cooking J.C. Jackson pretty much all night until Jackson finally got a pick at the end of the game. Um, I mean, they had everything going. You know, they were actually designing plays that didn't set up Joe Flacco for failure. I mean, I don't know where the hell that play calling was when Sam Darnold was that quarterback because they just straight up let him get killed every play. But all of a sudden, you know, they're they're running actually solid play calling. You know, I think Adam Gase finally relinquished his play calling duties and gave it to one of his coordinators finally. Um, but it was just wild to me, you know. But then at the end of the game, I, I had a feeling that they're just going to find a way to lose. Um, it, it just didn't make sense. I mean, they went up 10 early in the fourth quarter. You think, okay, they can put them away. Um, and then the Pats weren't even moving with urgency. They had like an eight-minute drive and only came away with a field goal. So all the Jets had to do was put together another long drive, and the game could have been ended. But it, it they just made mistake after mistake last night in the fourth quarter, and you're just like, there's a Jets team that we we know and love, unfortunately. But you can see the, the first-round picks, all of them were on the field for the Jets last night, and they all look good. You know, Makai Beckton looked good, even though he left the game with an injury. Uh, Ashton Davis looked phenomenal last night. Denzel Mims starred uh, on offense. You know, he was, he was getting some nice yak yardage as well. Um, so they, they have the pieces, man. Um, and it, it's just so hard for me to say, you know, Trevor Lawrence is definitively going, going there because it's like quarterback really isn't their top issue. You know, is coaching and then you know, obviously some few, a few offensive line spots, but they have people in position, you know, uh, and Bryce Hall also made his debut last night as well, uh, coming back from that knee injury. Uh, and he didn't look too bad. He had one penalty while guarding Jacoby Myers, who had a great game last night. But, um, I mean, the, the Jets have a team, man. It is just, the coaching just sucks. <laughs> It just sucks. It just file sucks, man. And then, then get into the pages before I turn it back to you. Man, I mean, <laughs> I, there's really nothing Cam Noon can do more. I mean, he, he's literally left with Jacoby Myers as his top target. Everyone else is like, they, they can't create separation for anything. You know, they got, uh, unknown receiver number 80. Uh, I can't, I don't remember his name, but he's small. The tight end really isn't doing anything, Tom, uh, not Tom Izzo, but, uh, Izzo. Um, you know, they got the running backs. I mean, Damian Harris really isn't explosive. Um, they, they have a real need at running back, uh, a running back that can actually, you know, break off a few big runs. I mean, cause right now they're just, it's just not great. <laughs> it's, it's really not great. I'm just surprised that they found a way to win that game, to be honest, because they should have lost that game if the Jets were of of any competence. Yeah, and Cam Newton's the only reason they won that game, and Jacoby Myers. That's it. And the Jets being complete freaking idiots, you know? It's like how you're that bad to blow a 10-point lead. He had a 10-point lead against the Patriots. Bill Belichick's Patriots. It's mind-blowing. And I want to say this real quick. I think Cam Newton deserves to spend, I think, the rest of his career in New England, but I, I don't see Josh McDaniels lasting much longer in New England. He, The play calling's conservative, like, they don't run a lot of tempo. It's just they have a game plan and game plan and like they have a game plan set for Newton. Like they have ways they can use him. They use him like he's supposed to be used for the most part. But they're not giving him opportunities to throw in the red zone. They're just letting him run the ball um, in the red zone, which he's been very successful at. And I don't have a problem with it, but. You know, I'd like to see that production, that touchdown production, passing touchdown production be better. He's still two for seven on the year. 
touchdown interception ratio. It, it's bad, but like it that shouldn't that shouldn't say he's a bad passer. That's if you've watched the last couple of games, the Buffalo game, he had he looked really good, and last night uh, on Monday night he looked good. He he was starting to play like himself again. He's starting to get back there. He's going to need a game like he had last night, but I think a little bit better. He might need another see. He might need another game like he had against Seattle Sunday night. Like that's how big. Um, so, you know, I think Cam needs to stay for a few years. They need to develop, add more talent around them outside of Jacoby Myers. They need to get their defensive guys back. They need Dante Hightower back. They need to get better defensively up um, on the front four and probably front seven overall besides Dante Hightower. They need to add talent there. Um, they need to add a, t- a legitimate tight end. They need to add a legit, more legitimate receivers, and they have a really solid backfield. So they have they have the guys. It's just the injuries, the COVID opouts. It's really taking a toll on New England. So I'm not going to count Cam Newton out yet at all. Until he's like really, really struggling, I'm not going to count him out, and I think he deserves a shot to be playing for New England over the next several years, probably for the rest of his career, in my opinion. Like I believe he can still win the Super Bowl in New England, so that's just me. Speaking of the Jets, what? And you pointed this out about Trevor Lawrence, or you mentioned Trevor Lawrence here. I want to say this. Trevor Lawrence, if he gets drafted by the Jets, he's going to make the Jets a very, very competitive football team. He's going to help them win a good amount of games. I think he's that good. They have, And like you said, they have the pieces in place. It's just they have some holes up front on the offensive line, and they just need some help in the secondary, add some more talent up front on the defensive front. And they need a whole new coaching staff. But this team can, this team has a future. And they get Trevor Lawrence. And you have the weapons you have right now with Denzel Mims, Rashad Perryman, a healthy Jamison Crowder. Um, you know, they got the guys. They do. It's just, it's up to Joe Douglas to make the right calls. And he had a good draft um, and a good offseason overall. So, and now they have the cap space because they cut Le'Veon Bell. So, you got cap space to add more guys. You got, and the Jets are probably going to go 0-16. They're going to fire their whole, their whole coaching staff, going to bring new guys in, guys that will help develop the talent and make them legitimate and make them good. You add Trevor Lawrence. And this team can probably win six games, seven games next year. Assuming they add the right talent, the right, they bring in a good coaching staff, all that. Now let's get into the conversation of Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields. Justin Fields has been playing well. There's no doubt about it. You look, if you're a casual fan and you're looking at the box score and you're saying, oh, how is he... What's he doing that he's completing a lot of his passes? Like he's only, he only has 11 incompletions, has 11 touchdowns. You can't tell me that's not good. That's damn good. It's damn good. Like that's elite level play. And no, they're not all checkdowns at all. They're not checkdowns at all. Like Haskins was. They played a lot of mesh concepts with Haskins. Which feels they're letting him just sling the ball everywhere. And he is putting the ball where it needs to be. There's not a throw he can't make. He can make every throw. He threw one ball against Rutgers Saturday night. And that was probably one of the better passes he's ever thrown. Dropped in the bucket between two defenders for a touchdown 
to, I think, Olave or Wilson. And I mean, just. And there are people now saying, oh, Fields should be in the conversation for QB1. So the question now is brought up, is there a competition for quarterback one? And I think people are getting caught up with Fields now that he's he's really playing well, and they're forgetting the fact that Trevor Lawrence has missed the last two games because of a positive COVID test. He should be back in two weeks. Clemson's on a bye, all that. But right now, I'd, I'd still say Trevor Lawrence. If we're talking about a legitimate, like, competition for QB1 in the 2021 draft, who would I take? I'd still take Trevor Lawrence. He has better physical traits, better physical tools than Justin Fields. Fields is great in his own manner. Elite arm talent, great mechanics, great running ability, incredibly accurate, very smart with the football. Like, he he is going to be a franchise quarterback. He's going to be a very good quarterback at the next level. Trevor Lawrence is someone that's going to help teams win games. He's not going to be someone that will need help to win games. He's going to be someone that will win games because of. Lawrence is flawless with his mechanics. He, for the most part, he's had... Some miss throws, but all all QBs do. He's you could tell the last two games. If Trevor Lawrence was playing, I don't think the games are even close. But again, I think Clemson was dealing with injuries and all that stuff, so that's why those games were so close. And DJ Uangale actually said it right. DJ Uangale, the freshman. Quarterback bought out, but Trevor Lawrence, it, there's not there's not anything you can really nitpick about his game. Sure, he's he has a lot of one read. He throws a lot up to his first reads, like. But I remember uh, Ben Solak talking about it, and uh, Trevor, I think, brought it up. Trevor Sycamore brought it up when. Um, we were talking on the podcast um, a couple weeks ago. Lawrence and Fields are both both have kind of a, their only flaws are like Lawrence will go to his first read every time, but he knows he can hit those first reads because he knows he can make every damn throw on the field. Fields' problem is that it's almost the same thing. Is that sometimes sometimes he'll lock up on that first read, but he knows he can hit it because he is that damn good. I think that's the only problem with either of those two, and that's it. But the edge for me is Trevor Lawrence has the better physical traits and the better tools than Fields had than Fields, in my opinion. It's going to be really interesting to see the debate for QB one if there is one. Um, right now, it does feel like there is, and throughout the season, it could start to get louder and louder and louder to the point where some people actually start mocking Justin Fields to the Jets at number one. I'm sure there have been people that have already done that, um, but I think Trevor Lawrence, he is the guy that can you can win because of. Fields can definitely be that. But you could, but he could definitely use like good weapons around him as well in a good system around him. Doesn't mean he can't succeed in any system. He's just, you know, I, I, it's just that I'd rather take warrants over him. That's just me. So I want to know your thoughts on this potential debate of QB1, Lawrence versus Fields. What's your, where's your area? Where's your mind on that? Well, first, uh, I just want to address to the people that didn't have Fields as QB2 because the he hadn't played yet, you know. 
Uh, I know that you have Lance's QB2, but I was always of the mindset that Fields was QB2, man. I watched him play every single game last year, and I knew how special he could be. But I think he's also taking that next step as a passer. You know, like you said, he can lock in on his first read, but he can also, you know, read defenses a lot better this year. He's delivering on-time, on-target passes. He's not late on deep balls. You know, he's not late on his reads. And in addition to that, he's showcasing his ability to keep his eyes downfield outside of the pocket. Against Rutgers, he had a really good game showcasing that. You know, it wasn't a perfect clean pocket, but he was able to spin out of pressure. He was able to step up, sidestep. And I think that though adding that ability as well and showcasing that ability will help him in that QB1 debate. Uh, just for me, uh, I just think Lawrence is a, a quicker, better mental processor. I think that Lawrence can get through his reads a lot quicker. Uh, he can make a decision a lot quicker as well. He can un- he understands pre-snap reads. Uh, everything about Lawrence is, is damn near flawless in terms of uh, evaluating a quarterback for fields. He's shown the ability to do that, but we haven't seen it at a consistent level. Um, and, and he did struggle a bit last year against Clemson, locking in on that first read. So uh, it, it cost him, you know, the interception at the end of the game uh, against uh, Clemson last year. And I think that uh, Trevor Lawrence's running ability is underrated as well. He's yeah. not one of those blazing guys that's going to, you know, he's not a Lamar Jackson type. You know, he's not really even really a Russell Wilson escapability type, but he can manipulate the pocket and, and understands what he needs to do in the pocket to keep his eyes down the field. So for me, I think it's going to be extremely close. Uh, obviously, they both are top five talents, and I think they'll both go in the top five. But for me, uh, I think Trevor Lawrence has the edge. He's shown his ability to, like I said, be quicker in making decisions and in, in mental processing and understanding what defenses are throwing at him. So I think that gives him the edge, but... Justin Fields shouldn't be slept on. Yeah. And my thing is, I, I don't want a, a situation where, um, you know, this is a Deshaun Watson type of thing where they overthink him and he goes lower than he's supposed to because of Zach Wilson's emergence as a not really. I don't want to say a one year wonder, but it, it kind of is that, you know, we saw in, in Deshaun's draft class what can happen when a quarterback, you know, has an outstanding one year and and just blows away expectations so i don't want a situation like that where you know he he falls to like 10 11 12 because that could be dangerous uh for other teams if he falls in that area say like carolina gets him that's dangerous <laughs> that's very dangerous you don't want to see that you want to see that if the nfl is stupid enough to let trevor lawrence fall to Carolina, <clears throat> wherever Carolina is picking, they fucked up. They fucked up big time because he's going and he's going to go to Joe Brady, an incredible offensive line, an incredible offensive mind, an offensive line, a great group of receivers, and one of the best running backs in football. You go to that, Carolina is making the playoffs every year, no yeah. matter. What their defense is or like. even if Justin Fields falls to them, I, I don't want to see that at all. Um, but I don't think the NFL messes up. Like I said, they're clearly the top two quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I mean, we can go ahead and get into the conversation now about Zach Wilson, who, who has been emerging as well. Let me but, ask the question, though. Is Zach Wilson a top five pick? No. Top 10, top 15 maybe, but top five for me, I, I just don't see it. Um, I don't know, man. I, I I don't know if I can can spend the top five pick on him just right now. You know, obviously he's having a phenomenal season. He has ridiculous traits, but he is such a wild card because you just don't know how exactly he's going to translate at the next level. You know, or you know, obviously people will put in the competition thing, but you can only do play who you have in front of you. Yeah. So. From that perspective, I hope that BYU is led into the playoff. 
to please. see exactly what please. they would do against a Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, whoever makes it. You want to see them uh, against a top defense with against NFL talent, and you want to see how he responds. And, you know, I think that's going to be the ultimate test. And, and if he balls out, he could be a top five pick, you know. But, you know, if he doesn't, then there's going to be some concerns, and he could be a, a mid to late first-round pick. I haven't watched Zach Wilson much. Um, the only games I've watched of him live are the Navy game. He balled out. Um, and the one against Boise State where he balled out as well. Um, Wilson's got great arm talent. There's no question about that. He's got great instincts. He's um, got incredible. He's got some really t- very, very intriguing tools. The mechanics and the mental processing, that's still raw, but he's overall pretty accurate, and he's got the arm talent to really just launch it downfield. Um, he's People are calling him the Mormon uh, Patrick Mahomes, um, which is like for the college level, he, he looks like Mahomes. Like he's playing – he making the throws that you'd see Patrick Mahomes make. But, like, we're, I, I'm not comparing Patrick Mahomes to – I'm not comparing Zach Wilson to Patrick Mahomes. No, 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 no. No one will – I will never, ever compare any QB prospect to Patrick Mahomes. Because <clears throat> Mahomes is in his own world, his own realm. Like, you need to be a special, special football player to be compared to Patrick Mahomes. I'm never going to compare a quarterback to Patrick Mahomes, a QB prospect to Mahomes. But people are calling him the Mormon Mahomes, which is acceptable because of the way he's thrown the ball recently. But I wouldn't be surprised if a team took a chance at Wilson in the top five as long as they have that bridge QB um, in place. Um, I think a couple places he could end up where he would need maybe a year or even a few games to like develop his talent and to sit and learn. I think uh, San Francisco would be a good place playing under Kyle Shanahan. And once the 49ers are healthy, they can be something like they they went to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo, who struggled this year, but he's also been hurt too. Um, so Niners could be an option if they struggle throughout the rest of the year and end up having a top 10, 15 pick. Carolina could definitely be an option because Teddy Bridgewater, he's, he's the perfect bridge quarterback. Um, no pun intended. Um, and you could sit behind him. Learn under him, Joe Brady. Then you start in year two with DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and Christian McCaffrey and potentially Curtis Samuel if they resign him. Um, and you know, it's Wilson's fit is going to be crucial for his success at the next level. Um, I do believe he will need a year to sit. And we we were saying the same thing about Trey Lance. And then there's a conversation about a QB3 debate. Who's QB3 in this discussion? Because it seems like now Fields has locked up that QB2 spot. Now who's going to be QB3? Is it Zach Wilson or Trey Lance? A lot of people are starting to lean Zach Wilson because there's more tape and he's playing. And, like, just overall, you compare each other. You compare Zach Wilson's tape this year to Trey Lance's tape last year. It's kind of Lee, Zach Wilson, but Trey Lance is also good in his own perspective. So it's going to be interesting to see where everyone is on Wilson. There will be some people that will have him QB2. Andre Ware had him QB2 a couple weeks ago. I think that's still true, and that's ridiculous. But, like, you know, I, I've been really impressed with Zach Wilson. Even though I haven't been able to really watch him much, um, haven't had – I mean, he's playing at, like, 9, 10 o'clock at night, and usually around then I'm just about out of it. So 
you know, Friday night, I was actually able to watch him through the allergies I was having. And I was like, I'm going to crash at some point in this game. And I did. But thankfully, it was like when it was later in the game and Wilson was still balling out and whatnot. And I'd seen enough. So, you know, I'm excited to see what Wilson can do from here on out. He's only got a few games. He's only got a couple games left. So I want to, I really hope he, BYU, they better blow their next two opponents. I mean, they're, the teams are playing. I, I, they just don't really have a, a high chance of being BYU. I mean, I'm pretty sure they're playing like North Alabama and then playing uh, another team that's just not even close to the level uh, of competition. I mean, I, if they lose, man, it is, they, they might drop out of the top 25. That's, how bad that, the teams that, are playing. Sound, one loss, you're out. I mean, that's crazy. They're, yeah, they play North Alabama, not this weekend, but the next weekend, and then San Diego State two weeks after that. So, so if, they, over the next month, they only have two games. So it could hurt them, though, because, you know, SEC is wrapping up now, Big Ten. ACC. Uh, yeah, ACC as well. So they, they might just miss the playoff uh, if things – fly the way they do. They like Nord- yeah, if Notre Dame doesn't lose out or, or doesn't lose another game uh, and end up playing Clemson the ACC championship, then it's probably going to be uh, Notre Dame, Clemson in there, Ohio State potentially, and then the winner of the SEC. So they, they could be the one looking out. Uh, but just finishing my thoughts on Zach Wilson. Yeah. Um, he's, he's good, man. He's good. Uh, I, I think that you know, just watching him, I, I've seen a little bit of him in every game, and you know, just shows great command. Uh, isn't afraid to take chances. You know, has really nice arm strength. Uh, can make plays outside of the pocket. Uh, he, he works best out of structure, in my opinion, uh, when he has to make a play on the run or or just make a play to get a first down. I think that's when he's at his best, uh, and and he's just having fun out there. I would love to see with him with the 49ers. I think uh, pairing him with uh, Shanahan it would be uh, great for, for that offense and bring a whole new dynamic that Jimmy uh, Garoppolo cannot bring. Uh, that's his ability to run the football. Um, the, the zone read would be a nice addition to that 49ers offense. Uh, RPO as well. I think they could take advantage of that, especially with the, the speed they have at receiver. And and I was thinking of a scenario, you know, maybe this is getting a little bit off track, but, you know, what if 49ers end up getting the top 10 pick and, you know, say a team like Cleveland or, or a team like that wants to move up? Would you potentially do a trade like that and, and trade back and, and gather more assets as well and still maybe able to land Zach Wilson, per se? Uh, like mid to late first round, or maybe even trade for someone like Odell Beckham and get him in a 49ers uniform. In addition, you know, still grab grab a pick. Uh, and then you add Zach Wilson, have OBJ out on the outside, and then continue to fill the holes they have defensively. Uh, so that, that could be something that the 49ers look into this offseason, uh, especially if they don't make the playoffs this year and, and have a, a top 10, top 15 pick. Um, so that that could be their scenario as well. We don't know. They they have quite a bit of money invested in Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. But, I mean, there's going to be a team out there that wants Zach Wilson and, and wants him on their team, maybe the Bears. We don't know what the Bears are going to do uh, with their quarterback situation. But this, this is a good draft to want to draft a quarterback. Uh, you've got a lot of different options. You have someone like Trey Lance if you don't want him starring immediately, you can let him sit and develop uh, and and see what he can bring in year two or year three. Um, you know, that I think that's really about it for me personally. I would go first round quarterbacks. Mac Jones is a stretch in my opinion. Uh, Kyle Trask is as well. Um, so for me, those are the four quarterbacks I take in the first round in this draft. Obviously, there's, there might be more. Uh, and, and people may feel differently, but I don't see more than four quarterbacks getting taken off the board in the first round. 
Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, it's it should be Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. Those are your four first round quarterbacks. Easy. We need better play from Mac Jones to consider um, more impressive play from Mac Jones to consider him a um, potential first round pick. I don't know if Kyle Trask will ever be considered a first round pick. An NFL team will be dumb enough to draft him in the first round. The New Orleans Saints, probably. How ironic. I doubt it. I doubt it. Nah, this the Saints. They, they got they got Jameis. They got Jameis. Yeah. The thing, well, the thing with the Saints is that they just don't. They never go with conventional wisdom. They never go with what people think they're going to get. They always find like a, a a position that people really don't come to mind at first, like drafting Caesar Ruiz last year in the first round. You know, the Saints have had trouble with interior pressure, and he was brought in to to help with that. Um, so a lot of people thought they were going to go Kenneth Murray or uh, go Patrick Queen, but they didn't go there that route. And then they end up trading for Quan Alexander uh, at the trade yeah. deadline for the from the Forty ers So the Saints will never typically do what everyone thinks they're going to do. So they could very well pick, you know, a receiver, a DB, maybe a safety. Uh, maybe right. they pick Andre Cisco as safety. Mm-hmm. Um, you just never know what they're going to do. So uh, that is my only thing. I people have I've seen people mock like Dylan Moses to the Saints and Kyle Trask, but I don't really think linebacker is the biggest need for the Saints at the moment. For me, it's, it's corner depth, safety, um, you know, interior defensive line, and that's really it. Um, for me, I mean, they could try and get a quarterback, but for me, if they got Jameis Winston on the roster, I don't see a scenario where a young quarterback is going to be able to play. So they also got Taysom Hill. He's not a quarterback, man. He's, he <laughs> he's not even he's not even in quarterback. I know, I know. I'm busting your chops. Busting I know, chops. I know. But I think it's funny that so many people are like question the contract and question what the Saints are doing with him. But, I mean, the man is making plays. I mean, you know, obviously he's not going to be the future quarterback. Everyone is like, how are you going to pay him, da-da-da, whatever. Yeah. It's what it is, man. Yeah. It, and, again, it will be really interesting to see how the quarterback class really does end up um, here in the, over the next few months. Um, so I'm really excited to see that, and I'm really excited to see how draft class overall develops. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the Draft Nut podcast today. Um, I know we've been gone last couple weeks. I know Demon's been gone the last couple weeks, but we are back. I, we promise we'll be back again here in the next couple of days. We'll see you soon. Peace. <laughs>